Welcome to the Longevity Week podcast hosted by the Longevity Forum. We'll be featuring podcasts all week on the theme, Sustainability in a Decade of Healthy Aging, which you can listen to online, thelongevityforum.com. Today, Tanya Breyer, CNBC anchor and executive producer will be interviewing Marisa Drew, Chief Sustainability Officer and Global Head Sustainability Strategy, Advisory and Finance at Credit Suisse. I'll leave it to you, Tanya. Laura, thank you so much. I'm thrilled to be part of the Longevity Forum and, of course, delighted to be joined by one other than Marisa Drew. Marisa, thank you. Uh, so happy to be here and talking about a subject which is near and dear to my heart. So uh, delighted to engage in the conversation, Tanya. Marisa, I first want to start by asking how you first became interested in the topic of longevity. Sure. So um, I'm a career investment banker, and uh, I have been at Credit Suisse for uh, nearly 20 years now. And I first really got interested in the topic because I was dancing around the subject of demographics. One of our research analysts was studying demographics and uh, had informed me that each generation is living about a decade longer than one than the one that preceded it. And that just got my interest peaked. As you think about how profound that is from everything from in your investing habits uh, to what society is going to need to support us if all of us are living that much longer. And then in 2017, I uh, passed on the baton running investment banking and took up the mantle to help build our sustainability practice. And then I got that got me thinking about the link between sustainability and aging. You know, what are those things that are part of the global challenges that we focus on in sustainability that have some link to our aging and our longevity? Things like the environment, how do you link the E with the S in ESG, so our health and well-being? Um, things like next gens, because I'm constantly in, in speaking to our next gen. Uh, uh, children of our top wealth clients, and they are grappling with this global wealth transfer, and then how do they use their platforms and their power to drive the change in the world that they want to see. So all of this is, uh, has become a little bit of a journey for me. So interesting, Marisa, that you mentioned next gen, because for them, longevity seems a long way off. It's true, but I think they look at it with a lens that they're inheriting a world that they're not uh, particularly happy with um, that we've been giving them. And they are an activist generation. And so they're very proactive at seeking opportunities to try to change that equation. And health, well-being, uh, the existence, having a healthy planet, all those things are very much on their mind. And they're driven to try to use whatever means they have to, uh, to, to change things. And so that's really where this comes into play, I think, with, with that generation. Yeah, you talked about some of the issues impacting global longevity. What are some of the other ones, do you think? And what are you most concerned about? Well, you know, first of all, all you have to do is look at the statistics. Uh, I'll share a couple of interesting ones that I find quite provocative. You know, in, in the 1950s, there were seven times more children under the age of 15 than over 65. And as we project forward to 2050, you'll have about the same proportion of people that are under 15 as over 65, so about a billion and a half people. And we think about that as uh, the, in, or in the lens or the context of 
a planet which is already constrained with resources. You know, there's some very serious issues that are coming upon us, but they're accelerating in terms of their importance or their um, their impact on on you know our ability to contain uh, this this the, the demographics yeah. that we see brewing. Um, the other thing is that I think there's a little bit of a misnomer that longevity issues or aging issues are a problem only of the West. And yes, in terms of the fact that the percentages of old people in the West are are much higher than they are in some of the emerging markets. But if everybody's living longer, the world is going to have to grapple with how do we support and deal with, with the aging. Yeah, um, you know, and so so these are the sorts of things that I, I think are, are are real issues that we need to think about, and how we make everything more sustainable. What about some of the tech breakthroughs that will most impact our longevity? Do you think? Well, certainly, if we look at some of the big diseases, which are the key killers of of our population, whether it be malaria, heart disease, cancer. In many respects, we are on the verge, if not already in the process of, of solving these issues. And a lot of that is tech enabled with uh, new pharmaceuticals, with new cancer cures, uh, with new vaccines. And so that clearly is going to impact us um, in terms of having more people on the planet who will live longer. We also have this whole field of genetics. So DNA mapping and understanding what are the long-term stressors like inflammation, or this field of gut biome, or environmental toxins, all of these things have a strong impact on our body's resiliency to withstand disease and to to have us remain in good health. Then we've got the whole field of the environmental cleanup. So the world that I'm living in very actively right now. So the focus on how do we protect our planet and how do we protect its biodiverse resources. So as we focus on cleaning up pollution, reducing our use of pesticides, cleaning up our waterways, Uh, plastics, which are leaching into uh, the food that we eat. And there's a study recently that came out that said plastics can even break into our brain barrier. So all of these things, as we attack those very problems, they are going to mean positive things for our health and longevity. And then finally, I'll just touch on food systems breakthroughs. Uh, Today, as we are in mass production of food around the world, whether it be animals and livestock, or some of the ways that we produce uh, produce at scale and monocrops. That means we are using more pesticides. In animal husbandry, we're using more home hormones, antibiotics. Uh, we have many breakthroughs now with, with topics like cell-based or plant, um, uh, plant-based food, which uh, require a whole lot less of those inputs, all again, which have very big implications in a positive way on our future health. So all of these sorts of breakthroughs are pretty exciting in terms of, um, I think, long-term, the outlook for all of us. It's so interesting when you talk about all the issues and really you think about awareness, which seems to be so much more now than ever before. Do you agree with that? Definitely agree with that. Uh, Clearly, we are in a world where access to information through the internet and other sources, social media, et cetera, is infinitely higher than it was you know, when I was growing up. And, and people are on a quest, I think, to figure out what can they do as an intervention matter to, to help themselves live longer and happier and healthier lives. And so with that information sharing, as well as the advances that I was just talking about in tech, what we're beginning to see is people take a much more proactive interest in doing the things that they think that they can do 
well, obviously there is a certain biology that's going to limit us. And I think the scientists will tell us that the theoretical maximum that we could live is somewhere around in future, despite what I said about each generation living 10 years longer, it's probably somewhere around 120 or maybe 130 years at its absolute maximum. But in those extra years that we get, this idea that you can take control. And science is telling us that things like our diet, of course, our ability to have a regular exercise program, and the big one, which is sleep, which reduces inflammation and allows your body to repair and reduce stressors like cortisol, you know, those all have a material impact on our ability to live healthily as we live longer. Uh, by the way, the one other biggie, which uh, I don't know that most people necessarily know, is that uh, something that trumps diet, exercise, and sleep are, as you age, having strong social networks and a purpose. And that leads very much into the world that I live in, sustainability, so purpose-driven businesses. That's so interesting because you're talking about everything that we can do to influence our own longevity. And we've just lived through and are still living through something that's been uncontrollable, which has been the pandemic, COVID-19. That hit the world. It's been unprecedented and it made everyone feel vulnerable. What do you think are the lessons we can learn from the pandemic and how will that impact what we're seeing about longevity? Mm, great question, Tanya. Well, uh, clearly society was certainly not equipped to manage the pandemic in its own right, but as much so is managing older people. The pandemic, this is the first pandemic in history where the population that are over 65 exceeded that of under five years old. So this big shift in terms of the global population. And sadly, morbidity rates toward the elderly are much, much higher through COVID than they are for the young. And I think there's a statistic in the US that about half of the COVID deaths are of those who are 75 years or older. And so what to me it, it surfaced was a bit of a gap in our societal infrastructure. When we first came into the lockdown in London, if, if you recall, what were we told by government? We need to lock down in order to, pr to protect the elderly. Where did we try to disproportionately then begin to give access to vaccines? It was to the elderly. But we hadn't been really prepared for that. And I think it was a big shock to the system. And the other thing that I think COVID surfaced was uh, an awareness that disproportionately those who are at the base of the pyramid or at the lower income levels of society are where you have much of their population being over 65 in their workforce. So a serious hit to their economies. So all of these things were little snippets that um, I think as a post COVID learning, I think we need to rethink um, in society, how we think about uh, those of older populations. We need infrastructure in place, to better understand healthcare implications as we ultimately, unfortunately, will have future pandemics. I think we need to think about um, how do we set up systems uh, for quicker access to those who are vulnerable, like older populations? How do we ensure their uh, participation, continued participation in the workforce, which has implications on economies, as I said? So there's a lot there to chew on. There certainly is. I mean, that's everything that really society needs to do to focus to ensure healthy aging and what challenges we've had, Marisa, as you've said, in, in the last couple of years. 
What is the longevity opportunity, do you think, for investors? You know, if you uh, almost look at uh, aging as an investment theme, and at Credit Suisse, we have uh, something we call the super trends. And the super trends are those key themes that are going to drive economies and the creation of investment value over the coming decades. And one of our core super trends is called the silver economy. And it really, if you look at the demographic as a as an investable thematic topic, it leads you into a very, very rich source of potential value creation. You can look at anything from, of course, healthcare, but housing. How do we create systems that are more robust to house those and care for those as we decline in age, but that we keep those social systems? You know, there are whole industries now that are rethinking um, the uh, the sort of part care where you can create communities together and have you know shared uh, communal tables yet still have your own private homes but all built around a design of this social network you have things like just basic consumer products devices hearing aids uh, different types of glasses I think we need to think from an industrial design point of view how do we uh, create better screens for people's eyesight that's failing or public transport when you're not as nimble? There are job opportunities for jobs of those who are aging, who really do and can contribute to the workforce and in so doing lead healthier lives because they have that purpose. There's a significant benefit to society from thinking about that. So all of those themes create really, really interesting areas to lead the investor to potentially allocate capital and then generate returns. And from that, Marisa, how crucial do you think it is for business alongside governments and civil society to be involved in tackling global long-term social and environmental issues like inequities and climate change? Well, certainly if we look at the world's biggest challenges and the lens we often use, and we think it's very much one that uh, the financial community and business community are using, is the lens of the UN Sustainable Development Goals, where they've tried to identify the world's biggest challenges by key categories. And in studying those 17 goals, one can actually do the math so that if we say we want to solve these challenges by 2050 or indeed 2030, what is it going to cost us? And what we find is that there isn't enough government money or philanthropic nonprofit capital that exists in the world to tackle those in its entirety, and therefore we need the private sector. So it's absolutely of critical importance that we're able to mobilize the trillions of capital from the private sector that are going to complement those of governments and, and philanthropists in order to, uh, to have a fighting chance that we're going to get there in, uh, in being successful at meeting those challenges. And of course, climate change is at the forefront of everyone's minds for around the world. What are your hopes? What have they been from COP26? Well, I think what encourages me is the absolute uh, level of participation in trying to mitigate and beat climate change. What we saw was that this used to be very much a place for governments. You know, COP was all about an intergovernmental agreement to keep our, our planet at one and a half degrees Celsius. But this time at COP, what did we see? We saw thousands and thousands of the world's largest companies all committing to net zero by 2030 or 2050. And with that sort of corporate will and intent, that leaves me with hope. 
But I hope what we will also have is an ability to come together with both public and private sector and globally agree on some sort of a mechanism for a common price on carbon. Because if we're able to do that, and I really do hope that that is going to be an outcome ultimately of of this year's COP, is that then we're really pricing in the effects of the harmful things that we're doing in society. And once you're able to adequately and appropriately globally price that, then all of a sudden the capital will flow to those better solutions. It's just natural market forces at work. So um, I, uh, I do hope when we look back several years from now to, uh, to this year's COP, we will say that we found that global agreement and that we were on our way to scaling the capital in, in an even greater way than we see it today. And when people and companies can actually measure the difference they're making, then that can make a difference going forward, can't it? And and really thinking about individual behavior, how much of a difference can people make themselves? Because sometimes they'll look at the COP meetings, all the, the, the big conferences with all the world leaders, and it sort of seems overwhelming. What can individuals do? Well, there is no question that it cannot just be left to big corporates or governments. And when we say private capital, it's not just money. It's also the individual behaviors and choices that we make every day. What is the food that you're putting in your mouth? Where is it coming from? What is what is the packaging that you're using? Is it from a more sustainable source? All of those things come down to, in many cases, individual choice, because if the demand is there, the corporate world will respond. And so I think we all have to believe that in those individual choices, the collective then power of those decisions is is very serious. So there is a, a very high level analysis that has been done by a think tank group that says of all the things that um, if you look at perhaps the global pie chart of what it takes to truly get to a net zero world, about a third of the solution has got to come from technological innovation. Some of those breakthroughs that we were discussing earlier A third needs to come from process improvement. So just tweaking or evolving our business models as they exist today. And a third has got to come from individual action. So I think there's your your (laughs) very easy and short answer. (laughs) And just finally, Marisa, I want to ask, what's your advice and tips to pass on and your own actions that you take towards your own longevity? Ah, well, longevity, I have to say I'm enamored with this idea of social social networks and social structure. Uh, I also am a very big believer in, in having a purpose. One of the things that I uh, feel very privileged uh, about every day is that I get up and I feel like my job is to help contribute by mobilizing capital to toward solving these, these big challenges we're discussing. And that is a very purposeful mission. And it gives you that little adrenaline shot. Well, well, sometimes you could say, you know, this all seems very, very hard and those individual choices don't ma- really matter. At the same time, when you have a platform and you can see that, um, uh, that collective action and there's something that you can do to contribute, it, uh, it gives you hope for the future. So I think there's probably no better medicine for longevity than having that purpose and then having those around you that are of a similar mind and and similarly action-oriented. That gives you that uh, little support network to keep going. Well, there's no better medicine than having heard you, Marisa Drew. Thank you so much for joining us today. It's been an absolute pleasure. As always, lovely, lovely to chat. Thank you, Tanya. 
The views, thoughts, and opinions expressed in this podcast belong solely to the speakers and not necessarily to the speaker's employer, organization, committee, or other group or individual. This broadcast has been brought to you by the Longevity Forum as part of Longevity Week 2021. We are very grateful to our sponsors, Juvenescence and Burnbrae. For more podcasts, visit our website, thelongevityforum.com, or follow us on Twitter, longevity underscore forum.